Welcome in to episode 104 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We've had a busy week at House of L. I don't know. I don't know in the history of the podcast if I've ever had a week where I've released four episodes in a week. This is a little bit more of what we actually do on House of L, where earlier in the week we were doing like breaking news stuff and it was cool. Like it was really cool to have Rick camp take care of some of the basketball stuff. And it felt good. Like as someone who technically is a small business owner, (laughs) I have a very small business to be able to use my small business to help someone to have it be a win-win where they've got knowledge that I don't, they need an opportunity. I have an opportunity. I have a little bit of money to to pay out via the company. I mean, the money's there so that I can use it to make the product better. So why not do it and bring people on who are really good at their job? So I'm really happy that Rick Camp had time. And he, I mean, his that production that he's already done for basketball camp, I think is top notch. So being able to to help him in that regard as a friend and as a small business owner it meant the world to me that he was he had pulled himself together after having been let go of the score and was like hey, I'm gonna do this content and he crushed it and if you haven't listened to his thoughts on new bulls vice president of basketball operations Arturis Karnaschovas you should go back and listen to episode 103 it's terrific some really good stuff but we get back this week to the interview portion of it. What's crazy is, is with all this time that I have on my hands, I can pour it back into House of L a little bit. And I've done some, there interviews that I had, had done before uh, Shelter in Place, like this one, we had gotten so far ahead that I can put stuff out. I can tell you right now, I have the next, unless there's something that happens in between, I have the next four episodes of House of L done. But it was nice to do this episode because this is legitimately one of my favorite people. We were all really happy. I I don't even know if I told Lance this, but I can tell you this now because I don't think the football police are going to come and take me away. I got a phone call from someone at the NFL, someone I've known for a really long time, and they were like, hey, um, you work with Lance Briggs, right? And I said, yeah, I sure do. Every week we do a football show together. It's great. You should watch it. And this person goes, do you have his phone number? And I said, yes, but I don't just give those numbers away. And this person who I've known for a long time said, I just want to talk to him because it's kind of important. And I said, how important is it? This person goes, it's so important that he's not going to be mad that you gave me his number. And I was like, for real? He's like, yep. And he goes, I promise you that after I talk with him, I will call you back and let you know what I talked to him about. And I said, okay, I'm gonna give you his number. 
but this better be good and you're going to owe me. And then the person called me back a few minutes later and said, now I can tell you since I've told him that he is a finalist for the hall of fame. And I was like flipping out and it was cool to be in the know on that before it became public. I like Boogie a lot. He adds a an air of levity to the room. He is okay with us sometimes making fun of him. Like, he doesn't get mad, which is weird. But he doesn't get mad. He's a lot of fun. He's got that. His approach to it is very different than... Alex's approach and it's different than Olin's approach and it's different than Matt's. And I think that's what holds it together. I know that that guy is paying attention even when I think he's not. And he says stuff that blows my mind with how prescient it is where he'll explain to me like why a play broke down or why a guy's not good at what he does. I really dig that dude, man, and he he's one of the engines that makes our show go. I also wanted to talk to him about playing the game. I don't get to talk to the I don't get to ask as many pointed questions as you would think cuz we're getting ready for the show and I'm worried about TV stuff and but I try to pick up, I try to sponge as much information as I can while I'm sitting there. But I, I like when I get them one-on-one. I like when I talk to them one-on-one because of how different their perspectives are. And that's what we talked about here. I also love that you're going to love the section of this where Lance is talking about his sisters. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. If you're someone who grew up with sisters who played sports... Or if you're someone who's dad of a girl dad, that's a big thing now. Hashtag girl dad. I think that you'll really appreciate what he had to say about women's sports. So without further ado, let me stop talking and let, let me let the man do do the talking here. He didn't make it to the Hall of Fame this time. But he's, he's actually is more confident than I thought he would be about making the Hall of Fame. You'll hear that in here, too. Number 55. On the scorecard, number one in your heart, Boogie himself, Lance Briggs. I got you. Oh, man, it's good to hear your voice, brother. How are you? I'm all right, brother. I'm all right. I'm all right, man. You know, it's uh, you know it's, it's spring training time out here in Arizona, so uh, things are really picking up. Do you ever go in, and watch baseball at all? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I plan to go do something tomorrow, but my, my son's got hockey. My son's got hockey, and I have some friends coming in town, and we're actually going to go to, to NASCAR on Sunday. I had heard so, that, that there was there's like a big uh, thing with hockey out in Arizona, like youth hockey is becoming like a thing there. It, it's a lot bigger than you would think in the desert. It's a lot bigger than you would think. And, I you know, I took my son out to, uh, to a, a Blackhawks game, for Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving in Chicago, and he's just been obsessed ever since. And now he's just, you know, he skates every day in the house, and he's in in hockey, you know, two three times a week. That's really cool, man. I'm glad that that's uh that's something that he's getting into. That's dope. Oh yeah, yeah. He he wants to be. He 
he's a big Patrick Kane fan and he knows the goal songs and everything. He's he's heavy. He wants to be a Blackhawk one day. Did you ever shoot the puck? I shot the puck like six times. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been around. I've been around. I got. I have like five uh, Blackhawk jerseys. <laughs> 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 that's 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 a good total. That's a good total of jerseys right. that you have. Right. Well, I, I want to ask you like a, a bunch of questions, man, and I appreciate you doing this because I know that you're super busy. But um, no worries. I, I want to know, like, when you were done playing, did you think that you were going to end up being behind a microphone? Um, I didn't know if I was going to be behind the microphone, but I was asked that question a lot. When I used to do my interviews, we do our team interviews. I would always get asked the question, "Hey, would you do you would you ever, do you ever think about getting into broadcasting after football?" And you know, and for a long time, I would say, "I don't know." And a lot of times, I would always get, "You would be good at it. Like you would you would be good at it." That kind of that kind of vibe. So I knew it was. I knew that that uh, no matter what I ended up doing, that would be. A possible avenue. So once you had kind of made up your mind, like, hey, all right, I can make this work. This is a, a good thing for me. What were the types of things that you felt like you needed to know to be good at it? I think initially I, I just, I was coming fresh off of the Bears, so I knew them internally better than anybody on in the studio. And I leaned on that a lot. But, I, uh, but being next to Jim Miller, and Dan Jiggins, but uh, but one thing I, I would always see from Jim is Jim would always have the paper. He'd always have certain notes that he would pass along to me. He would pass over to me, and and uh, from a numbers standpoint, Jim always had had numbers to follow up his statements. That was something that I I, I initially tried, and then I remember Jim grabbing me, and he's like he's like, listen, he's like, you have what other guys don't have. You have real. You have the, the experience. Some of leave the number stuff. Some of, it, some of it's for some of us. Some of it's not for some of us. And it's like, from what I know about you and your career, uh, numbers numbers has never been your thing. You're a savvy guy. You're a field guy. You're you're a guy who understands the game. So, and it's not that I don't I don't take notes or anything like that. It's just I, when it comes to to uh, how I explain the game, I explain it the best way that I, that I learned it visually. I think it's a valuable tool, what you do, to tell you the truth. I, I appreciate the fact that your experience is a big part of why you're successful. Was it was it hard for you to get to a point where you felt comfortable enough to criticize guys that you had played with? To criticize guys? Yeah. I, I would have never openly criticized anybody until I was a legitimate, legitimate, consistent starter. You know, I don't think I would have a place to criticize anybody else if I was a guy that people that, that anybody could count on every, every, every week or every day for a guy who I didn't miss one practice or one game for five years until my sixth year. You know, at that point, yeah. I felt like I absolutely had uh, had grounds to criticize one of my teammates because I went out every day 
to that point, I went out every day and I did what I was, what I had to do to help the team win. So I, I know I felt at that point that that I had grounds to criticize the 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 man next to me, and never did I ever have I ever felt that I was outside of any criticism from my peers. What does the the idea of leadership on a football team mean to you? Mm. Oh man, the idea of leadership is has taken many different forms in my life. When I first started playing football, my first year playing football, I rode the bench. And weirdly, I was I was happy on the bench. You know, I got the minimum six, seven plays you get. I was that minimum play, play, play guy, MPA guy, whatever you call it. Minimum plays allowed. You, you ask my mom today, she, whether she was upset that I wasn't on the field or not, she would tell you that I... I didn't mind riding the bench that year. And it wasn't until after that year that I realized that I wanted to get on the field and I wanted to play. And I actually wanted to start. So, you know, you talk about roles and where I started to where I ended up. I think every role that you take, and, and, and as I, that next year I ended up starting and I started at safety and I was a backup running back and then I was a running back and outside linebacker. And by my third year, I was a full on captain of the team from there moving forward all the way until I got into the league. Leadership role-wise, I understood what it meant to be the, the captain, the leader, the, the, the faith for a long period of time at Elk Grove, in Elk Grove, California, you know, and then getting to the uh, uh, University of Arizona where I go from being the star player to the low guy on the totem pole probably going to have to redshirt and had to fight through not not redshirting and having to prove my worth, which was great. It proved to be a new, a new challenge. So, and then once you get from the bottom of the total pole, you work your way back up to being the top dog again in, in your, for your respective college, you get to the professional rank where you're the low guy on the total pole again, but it really, all it does is present a new challenge. My new challenge was, to prove that I am a leader, that I am a leader on this team. And the biggest transition, I think, from college, from youth, high school, college, to the professional rank was learning what type of leader that, that we needed. You know, I, and, and for the Bears, I wasn't going to be the, the face of the, the, the team leader that I was when I was in Arizona or I was at El Grove High School or El Grove Youth Sports. For this team, it was going to take a different type of leader. It was understanding that my leadership is going to have to come in a different form where even, even being vocal, even being vocal and being vocal with some of the, with, with the players, that wasn't something that was going to carry over through, through the media. No matter how vocal I was in instruction or in helping my peers, that credit was always going to go to Brian Erlach, which I was, which I'm fine with. You know, I mean, you know, for me, it's more. I think what's more important was the the bonds that we we made in Chicago. Bonds that we made in Chicago were 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 deep, they're rich and they were it was beyond just football. We respected each other. We earned each other's respect. Brian already had respect because he was he was who he was before I even got there. It was me who had to to earn my peers' respect when I got there. Once their respect was earned then the relationship just grew from there. And I, I will always lay my hat on the fact that the leader that I, I was 
was a guy that I knew that the men that were next to me knew they could always count on me. Did you ever think, when you were at Arizona, did you think that you would be able to find the type of camaraderie that you ended up finding in the NFL? Or were you like, man, this is going to be a business, guys are going to be in and out, I don't know if I'm going to be able to to build lifelong friendships in the NFL? Uh, the NFL was a really undiscovered territory for me because there weren't a lot of guys that were in the NFL that I knew of before, like had any, any close relationships with. There's a few guys that literally come to mind. One actually played for, played for the Bears, Joe Tafoya, and pretty much every one of them were ex-University of Arizona football players. But there weren't a lot of men. There weren't really any men that I, I were, would look to to say, okay, would you give me some advice on this or on that? Antonio Pierce. But, you know, at that time, Antonio Pierce, you know, he was going through his own struggles as a, as a, um, as a uh, un, undrafted football player who's had a lot of hardships with, with Arizona and his pro date. So he was, there's a lot of distancing that he had from himself and the, the university and his fights to get to relevancy in the NFL before he ended up being that star linebacker for uh, the Giants and winning the Super Bowl. So there were so for me it wasn't going into the NFL was a really raw unknown trial by fire situation. There weren't mentors. There wasn't this. There wasn't that. It was you're gonna go out there and you're gonna learn as you go. Who do you think was your best teacher as far as the NFL game and the NFL lifestyle was? Like what? Who helped you learn the lessons that you needed to learn? Oh, my mother. That's an easy one. My mother's ability to endure is unprecedented. And what I watched my mother go through when we were kids, she was always on talk, on call when she picked me up from school, when she ever had to pick me up from school, especially in junior high, it was embarrassing because her mom wore that. She wore a big city onesie. You know, and 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 I, it was all it was bright orange, and you know she had that big city trunk that I had to hide at the floor because I couldn't be seen in it, and it was just it was rough, man. It was rough for a for a for a teenager, for a teenager, uh, you know, trying to be cool and walking out of school and this and that. But my mom's power to endure was an example for me to know that it doesn't matter what what you go through, it doesn't matter what they put in front of you. You'll get through. Doesn't matter how much it makes you cry. Doesn't matter how many times, how much it makes you want to quit. As long as you don't quit, as long as you keep coming back for more, you'll get through. I know that you and your mom very close, and I remember like I would see your mom like midway through your career. Your mom was in Chicago. You were hanging with you. We had done some shows, and your mom showed up at the shows. So I know oh, yeah. that you 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 guys are tight. What what is that? What has that bond been like for you? to go from the child that's looking at her with reverence and the person that's keeping the lights on and, and, and making sure you're doing what you need to do to then being a millionaire and adult and her being able to see you succeed at the highest level. I think that's where the grateful, the gratefulness of, of, of not only my mom, but my mom put me in football and, and my appreciation for what the sport 
has um, has done for my family, and being able to to call my mom on my first start, being able to be there when I got drafted to the Bears, and hugging my mother, and there was just so many things. It even just it's not even just football. Even before football, I mean, maybe my, my sister was playing softball. My mom coaching them in softball and and uh, and volleyball clubs and and us traveling and like it, it was those were the those were our vacation trips. Our vacation trips were softball tournaments and, and volleyball tournaments, and we drive to the to the Bay Area or to, to Reno. And, that's when we would get out of school a little bit early and mom would rent the, the big station wagon and we'd have all our our uh our meals in the in the ice bucket in the back, you know, and and we me and my sister would play games all the way to Reno or wherever we went. Those were the memories and 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 I am just happy that I was able to to further that, to take it to another to the next step and my mom was able to travel to different cities and countries and places. And, and, and when my mom calls me randomly and just says, thank you for, for bringing so much happiness and excitement. She's like, I just appreciate you bringing me along on the ride. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things, man, you know, where, where, uh, you, my mom will randomly thank me on a. She, she does things where she call me on a Tuesday morning and would just say, "Hey, I was just calling to tell you I love you, and I just want to thank you for everything that you've done." I, I would choose like a Sunday night to call my mom and tell her thank you because none of this would be possible with without your strength. Take me back to the back of that station wagon. What was uh, what was the snacks that you always had for for the car trips that you were taking with your sister and your mom? I had something with peanut butter in it. For me, it was something with peanut butter. And any guy that that grew up with sisters knows there's so many different games that so many more games you play when you have sisters than it is when you have brothers. Like some are more creative. Let me tell you that creative games. Because guys, boys, they play. They definitely play games, and I have a bunch of friends who who grew up with just brothers. But with with sisters, you grow up and you know there's a lot of hand games. There's there's a lot of unique car games that you play that my friends that had brothers had never even heard of. So it, it's just uh, it was fun. And plus, my sisters were on softball team, so they used to come up with a lot of the cheers. I was one of those honorary. I get I get to be along with with the cheers. I get to learn what the cheers are going to be before the whole team gets the cheers. So I'm in the development stage. I'm in, actually in the production crew. I guess <laughs> you are. You're 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 part of the uh, the advanced team that's putting together these cheers for your sister. Yeah, I, you know my job as a young. You know my youngest sister is four years older than me, and my oldest is five years older. So my job was to try to sabotage the song as best I could. Because <laughs> that was the only way. You know, my sisters were both six feet tall by the time they were in high school. And I didn't I didn't reach six feet until I was a junior or senior year of high school. So, you know, it was, and my sisters were physical. So it was, uh, they, I'm not going to say they were, they they weren't easy. Let's put it like that. They Their, their goal was to make sure that 
their little brother wasn't soft. <laughs> well, it seems like they succeeded in that. I was. It's so funny. Boogie, I was going to ask you about, like, when I see you on, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter, or you're arguing with Alex about, like, how great Arizona sports are, I didn't realize that you're, obviously you have an affection for University of Arizona, but now yeah. I'm starting to put it all together. Like, you enjoy women's sports because it's one of the things that you were brought up in. Yeah, it's so I love when I see women's sports at a very competitive level. I, you know, it doesn't matter. Women's, men's, it doesn't really matter to me. But I watched my sisters take home that huge trophy in softball so many times. My best friends growing up were their sisters and dads coached on the same team as my, uh, my sisters or my mom. And so we would go to these different cities, Visalia, California, and, and the Bay Area, and Reno, and we'd go to these tournaments, and my sisters would always they'd have the three, the top three teams take photos, and my sisters would always take home the trophy that's taller than we are, you know? And, and so I grew up, and we'd stay in these hotels where you always had all the, the different teams that were in the tournament, and so when you got away from the parents, you get to go out and you meet and greet and all this different stuff. You get to learn about each other. And my sisters also played, they played at a high school in Sacramento that I actually went to my freshman year and I ended up transferring away to El Grove High. And El Grove was the big rival for everybody. It was a team everybody wanted to beat. They were like the Patriots. When my sisters played sports, they always wanted to beat El Grove. Some of the best games I've ever seen in women's sports were my sisters playing. You know, I mean, these were physical, super physical games. And there were games where you would have to stand up to, to watch. And we always come down to the final second. When I, when I watch sports or whoever, you know, I love to see competitive games. I love to see when the emotions tied into it, when people really have, a, have like a disdain for each other and, and I love the emotion, the emotional part of sports. And I, you know, one thing I, I don't say, and I, I know that you know this because we spend time together, is um, I love the bad guy. I love the villain because the villain makes sports better. It makes, you know, when you have a guy, oh, he's a dirty player. I just want to see him lose or I want to see him get beat up or I want to see somebody pop him. If it happens, it's, it's like this big deal, this big story you'll talk about probably for the rest of your life. If it doesn't happen against a dominant game, it's the story that maybe your friend gets to talk about for the rest of your life. Emotion makes this, makes sport, I think, great. And watching my sisters play competitively at such a high level um, has always made me drawn to it. doesn't matter women, men, kids, boys, girls, doesn't matter. If you can play, you can play. Who do you think is right now, like if, if someone is doing a parallel podcast to what we're doing, like on an alternate alternate universe where someone like me is interviewing someone like you and talking about the biggest villain that they played against in the NFL, who would be saying that you were that biggest villain? And for you, who was your biggest villain? Who was the person that you always wanted to match up with in the NFL and that you always wanted to beat? Uh, 
Uh, well, if I'm going to talk about somebody talking as far as me being a villain, it would have to be fullbacks and guards. Fullbacks and guards and maybe slot receivers. Because by the time I got to the NFL, blindside blocks, plays, backside, A-gap plays, and ISOs, plays where I was going to, I knew the fullback was somebody headed my way. I ran as hard as I possibly could and hit those guys as hard as I could. <laughs> you know, and and I would, you know, I didn't say anything. I really didn't say anything to them, but they knew that I was going to do that and I was going to continue to do that until the game was over. Thought process-wise is I know that you're not willing to go as far as I am and you're not willing to do it as long as I'm willing to do it. So, so I guess that amounts to you're not willing to sacrifice what I'm willing to sacrifice. What I also learned about going at 100 miles an hour, a lot of times I could take up two guys. There were other times where I would be able to make that hit and slip by into the backfield. That's the reason why and during that period of time, you know, I had more stuff than any other linebacker in the NFL. I really attacked the uh, I really attacked the the light of scrimmage. So who was the villain for you? Who was someone that you just you just hated to see him? You were ready to play because you knew you were going to face off against that person. Oh, that, you know that's a tough one because the better player that you were, that I say the better player that I faced, the the more that I. That was that I asked of myself, and the higher the, just raise your talent, the, the, your level of play. But I'll tell you this: Percy Harvin was a kind of a he was kind of a nightmare in the sense that he was so versatile. No matter where they put him, he was a problem. Percy Harvin was really a wide receiver that could run the ball better than most running backs in the NFL. And I remember him coming to Chicago, and he caught like a middle screen. Caught a middle screen, and we teach angles as part of our fundamental. And we took the angle that we were taught to take, and I remember him missing two, two defenders before me. And I swore, I was like, okay, he missed two. And it was all within, I want to say, a second and a half is going on in my brain. He missed two defenders catching the ball, moving, running back toward the middle of the field. And as I'm running toward him, I thought I was, I thought I could get him, but he was moving so fast that the angle that I had couldn't get to him. And I, when I dived at him, I was like, wow, I'm still as good a foot and a half away from him. (laughs) And, you know, he went on for at least 15 more yards. Percy Harvin, no matter where he lined up, could make you, he could do a lot of damage. He would line up um, as a kick returner. He could run a kickback. He could line up in the slot and be a threat there. He could line up at the X or the uh, Z, be a threat there. Or he could line up at tailback and run in between the tackles. The best thing that we had going against him is he had, he had a migraine issue. So a lot of games, he never even got to play because he had a migraine. Let me ask you about why you love football. And, and I think I have a sense of it. But in your own words... What is it about the game that drew you to it? Oh. Okay, you're taking me back to 
to the nineties now. You're taking me back. Actually, you're taking me back to the eighties. You're taking me back to the eighties, the late eighties. Football was exciting. It was. I love what I loved about football was that when I started to play, I think the the one thing that always comes in my mind is I I was always able to impress the older kids. The guys that I wasn't supposed to play with, the guys that when I asked to play, they said they would say, All right, we'll let you play, but we tackle hard and it was like you better not cry. You know, and if you cry, you can't play with us anymore. When you go from being the kid that's picked second to last to the kid that that people are trying to flip a coin to see who gets first picked so that they can pick you, it makes you feel like this is where you're supposed to be. And when you earn this respect of the older kids, when the older kids come around or you walk past that park, you walk past that park and the older kids are playing and they're saying, they're yelling, you come on and come and play. You know, I know Little Man. Yeah, I know Little Man. He can play. Little Man can play. He's on our team. There are things that happened in life without putting football gear on that led me to believe that this was the sport for me. Football also was a sport where I learned I loved scoring touchdowns. I loved catching balls and running the ball. But I didn't really appreciate the game until I learned that what it meant to play defense and how much more I was going to love the games because I played defense than it was when I ever played offense. What do you think about playing defense was so different about playing offense that that love that you had for football just got even bigger? Man. I think there there was this kid that played in Sacramento his last name was Rucker, and he used to wear a big cowboy collar, and he had he had this big, huge face mask, and you know he play. He might have played, he might even have played defensive line or been a linebacker on defense, but he would run the ball. They would put him back at at tailback. He would just run guys over, and there was a, at this time, you know, I wasn't a, I would hit, but I wasn't a huge hitter, and me and. Uh, the other linebacker that was playing for Elgro, Benny, Ben Anderson, we remember him getting the ball one play, and I, we just, you know, it was a big play. We, just, we needed the play. And me and Benny ran in. For, I don't know what Benny was thinking. I just remember me closing my eyes and going as hard as I could. And I remember when I opened my eyes, I saw this big kid, Rucker. I saw him just falling backwards and hitting the ground, and we got off the field. And after that play, I just realized, I was like, man, I can hit. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it. I'm going to do that more often. For me, football has always, always been stages. You know, there were times where I was the fastest kid on the field to times where I was the hardest hitter on the field or a kid that just understood angles and body movements and how to – how to take advantage of my opponent. I just feel like I've been, I've, I've seen football at every level. And I think at the highest level, I had to walk away from the sport because it was that time. What did it mean to you to be named as one of the, the Hall of Fame finalists this last year? It felt good. I've seen a lot of 
Bears Hall of Famers, not only through my career, just seeing Dan Hampton and there's just been a few guys that I've been running into that I think hearing, hearing stories from them, the stories that I hear aren't even necessarily on the field football related stories, but they're stories they know that I would relate to because of the type of guy that I am and the type of guy that they are, how we approach the game, how no matter what we did, we were always ready to do what we had to do on the field. The people could always count on us. Being up for the Hall of Fame was, it's an honor. But, and when I, when I do get in, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it and enjoy the rest of that ride. But, uh, hey man, I'm just happy. I'm happy for the guys that got in. And when I get in, it'll, it'll, and when it happens, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate. I remember back when I was a reporter and I was covering you guys every week and I was on the road trips and all that stuff. It always used to make me smile when I would see you and Charles like come out to do you guys' pregame run together. And I always wanted to know, like, what was going on in those conversations? A mixture of a lot of things. You have life. You have what did you do Friday night? You have what are we looking for coverage-wise? Peanut might say, these guys have all short receivers. I hate short receivers. Or playing Steelers when they had Emmanuel Sanders and uh, Antonio Brown. And, like, these guys, like, Lance on tape, these guys are hauling. They're fast. What I wanted to get out of that first series, like, we, we got to take this ball away. We got to score. There's so many different things. We talk about coaches. You know, our, 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 our coaches had cotton mouth. You know, keeps yelling and the spit won't fly all the way over to you. And <laughs> there's so many different things that we would go, we would talk about. I miss that. I definitely miss that. Or even running around. There were times where, because originally we would run around twice. And I remember one day I'm like, Peanut, I cannot run around here twice. My knees are hurting so bad. And he would say, okay, cool. He was like, you know, and another day he would say the same thing. So we ended up saying, okay, we're going to only do this. We're only running around one time from now on out. It was fun. We took a lot of pride in our in our warm-up, and especially when we would get distracted. If there was somebody we knew or he knew, he would go up, he would say what's up to him, and I would give him crap about it. Hey, man, we're trying to get something done here. Somebody I knew, he's like, Lance, I've been waiting here for the last 10 minutes. You know, it was just one of those things where <laughs> – where we um, we always have fun with it. We would mess with each other, man, and I, I definitely miss that. Let me go back to something you said earlier because you were talking about earning the right to criticize teammates. Yeah. How long did it take you to feel comfortable as an analyst to criticize players after you were done playing? On the level that you do, because I don't mind criticizing players. I don't mind that. Um, but there's... I think there's there's more to it, and I think sometimes initially it's easy for us to, to criticize what we see, not what we understand. So when you see a, a busted play, uh, you know, I, I can go back to as an example. We played against the, the Detroit Lions. We had a tailback, number 44, that ended up getting a concussion, and he had a bad concussion and ended up ending his career. Do you remember he's from Cal? Do you remember his name? 
I can't remember his name. Let me let me think about this. Let me look it up. Yeah, right back from Cal. He was a first round pick. He was number forty four. Well, he had this big run against us. It was a big run. It was like fifty yards for a touchdown. And we were in a I think a cover two type. I think we were in cover two. And I remember the play where it broke was near where I was. And it was what we call a, um, oh, I forget the name of the call, where the tight, the tight end will release right now to make try to make you, the, the linebacker release with them to open a gap so that the running back can run through it. Was it Javid uh, Best? Javid Best, yes, that's it. Good, uh, good, good call. So when the tight end released, I took about two or three steps out with the tight end, then I came back. And by the time I came back, there he had hit the hole. And you know him, he's got 4-3 type speed. He he hits the hole and he's gone. So I'm walking to the sideline and I'm running the play through my head over and over and over and over and over and over. And I'm like, I think I, I'm pretty sure I screwed that up. I screwed that up. And I get to the sideline and I see Bob Babbage, she's looking over the, the, the sheet. And I'm like, I screwed that up. He was like, no, you didn't screw it up. I was like, yeah, I did. Like, I'm going through it. He's like, no, you didn't screw it up. Like, you, you were where you were supposed to be. He was like, in that defense, that wasn't you. The the amount of, of ownership that you put into to stuff, sometimes it it it's greater than just doing your job. Sometimes, and and even though I did my job, I knew I could have done more. So you understand when a player doesn't play as well that why maybe they didn't play as well? I do, and I I understand that if you don't know, number one, what the call was, and then, number two, how you play it, how that system, that system, how they played that call against that run. We even changed the way we did things. We would have a hammer guy, a run-through guy, and an over-the-top guy in our three linebackers. Some guys have a hammer guy, a hammer, hammer, and then the backside guy runs through. You know, so when you initially see it, and and this is the outside, the fan that sees it, and you play Madden, and you're like, okay, this is how it's supposed to fit. If I were a defensive coordinator, I'm there are, there are things that I'm going to do, ways that I'm going to have us approach this game that are not going to align with what you see on, on film. And if there's a busted play, the player that, that, that's most obvious, that it looks like, most likely it probably isn't him. So a lot of times when you hear guys talk, or like Alex Brown or Olden Cruz, they'll bring up that defensive line. Because the defensive line, they they attack the first gap that is supposed to be canceled out, and then you get the backside, the second level, which are the linebackers. And the reality behind it is, whatever the guys up front do, the guys in the second level can make the the, the front level guys right, and the defensive backs can make the second level and the first level guys right. That's when you get to football, when you get football at its most ultimate level, it's all about fitting where needed. 
What do you think that last thing I got for you? What is it that you think that when someone tunes in to watch us do our show that they're getting from you? I want them to. Well, I'm hoping. I hope that they 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 get my emotion. You know, a lot of times, sometimes my emotion isn't something that I'm verbally saying. When I agree or disagree with somebody, you you can see my emotion on my face. Other things that I, you know, because sometimes I don't even get to it because we got to go to commercial break. Right. But there, I think we all, all of us, we all stand on on principles. Our principles don't mean that we we don't agree on how how football should be played. Because the one thing I do believe is, is on, on our panel, we all believe that football should be played the same, hard, as hard as you possibly can play. But there are also things that within those principles that we, we, we fundamentally disagree on a bit. And where Alex understands uh, lining up as a five or a loose five and at the defensive end position, I understand what is playing at the at four and a half, five yards deep. There are different things that go into play on our positions. And Olin understands about protection and who he needs to be aware of. You know, whether that linebacker is five yards deep or three and a half yards deep. Matt Forte has to understand exactly he has to block inside out. If this guy inside is a threat versus that, that safety or that nickel. So we, we bring, we bring different angles to the same principles. And that's where I think our arguments, um, or not necessarily arguments, but our good disagreement or, 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 differences of opinion are great make our show really good i agree with you wholeheartedly on that why well, appreciate your time you're more than generous with it um thank yeah. you for doing this as per usual and uh enjoy the rest of your weekend because i could I, I could already tell that it's off to a good start and have fun with hockey it's a great time and i appreciate it lawrence next time bring me on for some comic book stuff Oh, damn. We didn't even do that. All right. It's okay. No, it's okay. Next time. I want to save that. I want to save that for a whole segment of us. All right. So this this is what we'll do. The next time you have to be here in Chicago, and then we'll just sit and we'll just talk about all sorts of shit. All right. I'm down. All right, brother. Be well. All right. You too. All right, man. Later. That right there is Lance Briggs, and you got a, a real sense of the type of guy that he is the type of football player that he always wanted to be and why he's so fun being a, a teammate of, I say that loosely. I obviously didn't play with Lance, but being his teammate now on the TV side is a lot of fun. Like they bring a lot of joy to my Sundays. And I, I I hope that they bring a lot of joy to yours too. Like that's the, that's the bit that those guys have a lot of fun and, it's really cool for me when people tell me that they enjoy the show. I was joking how the mayor said that she watches the show. And now I know that she's not lying because she's like a complete crazy person when it comes to the bears. But I took that as a great compliment and sitting around and learning football with those guys is amazing. It's a treat, a real absolute treat. Very lucky to be able to, hang out and be in the room with them and watch games with them. It's unreal. It's better than going to grad school, man. 
If you're trying to learn football, spend an afternoon with Olin Krutz, Alex Brown, Lance Briggs, and Matt Forte watching a game and hearing them talk about games and watching how quickly they pick up on trends in a game. Olin will write something down in the first two minutes of a game. And then he'd be like, hey, you know, remember we were talking about this? It kept happening. I'm very lucky to work with those guys, and I'm really happy that the folks over at NBC Sports Chicago put us all in a room and let us do football. And I get to be there and be the MC of it, and it's dope. So thanks for listening to this episode. That was a lot of fun, man. Boogie is my dude. He cracks me up. And and he will be a return guest on the pod. And we'll do all the Marvel stuff and the comic book stuff. I promise he said it. You heard him say it. So we got to do it. Thanks for listening as per usual. Be back next week with a whole new episode. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.